Welcome. You're listening to episode three of the Jacob Burns Filmcast. I am your co-host, Paige Prey, here with my other co-host, Mike. Hello. And we're here today um, to talk about the annual series, Programmer's Picks, which is a series here at the Burns that gives us the chance to highlight some films that, for whatever reason, didn't get the attention they deserved, um, as well as talk about some of our favorite overlooked films of all time. And so we brought in one of the experts, Jacob Burns' senior film programmer, Andrew Jupin. Hey, Andrew. Hello, everybody. <laughs> um, so Programmer's Picks kicks off on January 27th. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, whether it's this year's iteration or the series in general and what the kind of idea behind it is? Yeah, so... A while ago, we used to do a series at the end of uh, the year called Catching Up, which was a larger version of what is now Programmer's Picks. But it's just um, the idea of, you know, either we couldn't get something on screen for whatever reason. Biggest reason being there's like hundreds of movies <laughs> and, you know, we only have five screens here. Um, you know, so uh, we would do that series and, you know, eventually it just didn't gel for our scheduling anymore so we stopped doing it and then so a few years ago we decided we'll do a pared down version and it's uh just we each each programmer in our department picks one film that they're sort of either passionate about or yeah like you said feels you know um has been underseen for whatever reason uh so we're doing that uh, for this entire week there's five screenings monday through friday um that will mostly be introduced by uh, the programmers who pick them. I'm saying mostly because I'm thinking I don't think I'm going to be able to make mine, <laughs> uh, which is a bummer. Um, but the cool thing about it, too, is it sort of um, highlights like our different tastes in films. And um, it's sort of really eclectic. I mean, you know, it's starting with with my pick, uh, which is uh, Dolomite is my name, the Eddie Murphy film, which is fantastic. Yes. And, you know, it was a Netflix movie. And the interesting thing about Netflix is they're really still trying to navigate how they handle theatrically releasing their movies. Um, if you're familiar with the burn schedule, you know, we played The Irishman for a couple days here and there. But we also did three weeks of Marriage Story. Mm -hmm. um, but they really didn't make a push for Dolomite is my name, which I thought was kind of a bummer. And after I saw it, I was like, geez, you know, I have to get this on screen at the yeah. Burns. And so I sort of decided months ago before we even started talking about the series, like, hey, Dolomite is my name is my pick. And hopefully Netflix is, uh, you know, willing to work with us on that, which they were, uh, which was cool. I'm really glad you picked Dolomite because that's oh, one thank you. that... <laughs> I also was kind of late in the game to watching and yeah. it is so spectacular. And I was really bummed to see neither Eddie Murphy for best actor nor Ruth Carter for costume get any acknowledgement really for that beyond the globes. Totally. Um, the costuming in this movie is amazing. The writing in this movie is amazing. It played at Toronto um, back in September 2019 and I missed it then, but I knew some people who had seen it. And they were saying, you know, oh, my God, like, it's so funny, but it's also very, you know, emotionally powerful. Um, and it's also for me sort of the hook, too. It's really easy to get me to like a movie uh, that's about making movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that disaster artist movie aside. Actually, the funny thing is I've been saying that Dolomite is my name is the movie that the disaster artist thinks that it is because <laughs> It actually, Dolomite is my name, legitimately has like that perfect balance of there's a lot of laughs, there's a lot of making movie stuff, but it's also got a ton of heart to it, 
which is what the disaster artist thinks that it's doing. And yeah. I think it fails at every turn <laughs> of trying to make me feel for those people. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's a super stacked cast too. Yeah. Um, Wesley Snipes is like amazing. In a really uh, in unusual movie. role for him. So not like yeah. Wesley at all, um, which is really great. Um, Keegan-Michael Key is in a, yeah. in, a, in a small role. I mean, there's tons of people in this yeah. movie. If you just go on IMDb and look at the list, you're like, whoa, this is you know whatever tarantino and scorsese like this is like the stacked cast of 2019 (laughs) movies it's just been awesome and also because ruth carter literally at the time of this recording four days ago won the costume designers guild award for best costume for dolomite oh is that right yeah oh i didn't know that wow so the fact that everyone in her industry collectively got together and was like yeah this is the best job that was done this year and then not even a nomination from the Oscars is just totally crazy to me because but the, the people, feel of the film is so perfect. That's what's interesting, though, because the people in her field are the ones who nominate her right. for that, though, for the Oscars. Yeah. So, like, in a way, that's more special. It is. Yeah. But but I don't understand why she could win that Guild Award, which is right. also those same folks. And But those same folks are also weighing in on if she should be nominated right. for an Oscar and she doesn't get. So, I don't, you know, yeah. awards nomination stuff is so bonkers. Right. And like, if, I think if you think about it too long, your head just kind of starts yeah. to freeze over. Um, but that's a, that's a bummer. But I'm glad she's acknowledged for something because, I mean, this is like you have the challenge of making like clothing from the seventies anyway, but on top of it, it's like this incredibly flamboyant seventies costuming top to bottom, you know, by the time they are going to like the Dolomite premiere towards the end of the film. I mean, the stuff that the cast and crew wears to the premiere of that movie is incredible to look at in the (laughs) film. It's just, it's so great. And really feel good by the end. Like, so much more than I was expecting. Like, you were so saying, you having good. a lot of heart. I totally teared up. Yeah. I will admit this on the air. I was tearing up watching <laughs> Dolomite Is My yeah. Name. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so lovely. Yeah, I'm yeah. grateful you're programming it. Because, like, with every Netflix release, it just gets buried. And I totally missed it last year. Yeah, it's tough sometimes. And I'm, like, kind of grateful for that because I really want to see this on the big screen. Yeah. Because of how highly regarded it's been. Netflix is really sort of coming around to, you know, working with theaters with stuff like that. Um, and similarly, um, uh, the another programmer's pick from Netflix is uh, Atlantics, yes. the Mari Diop film. And uh, I actually haven't seen that. That was another I missed it at Toronto. I think it even played the New York Film Festival. I missed it there. But then once it gets to Netflix, I mean, whoosh, like it's right. gone. Yeah. You know, I think like y- you have like two to three days of home screen presence. And if you don't notice it, then you're not going to think to go look for it. Cause you're being inundated with like Frasier reruns and, you know, serial killer documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is all that that platform is becoming. Yeah. Frasier reruns it's and crime docs. It's just comfort food of television. They found yeah. their niche. Yeah. yeah. They found, yeah. But it's crazy base. that like yeah. the pedigree of that film, you come in with Maddie Diop and, the first black female filmmaker to be in contention for the Palme d'Or can like that's mm-hmm. a big deal. Yeah. And then to just bury something with that pedigree is totally nuts. It's almost as if they don't know the pedigree yeah. that they have. I mean, but they do though. They just, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to knock them because they are working well with us, but like all that stuff is not their primary concern. So like I get it. It's just kind of unfortunate. But, you know, this time last year, we were complaining about the fact that it was like really hard to get Roma on screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the differences between what you had to do to get like Marriage Story or Irishman or, you know, even Dolomite Atlantics on screen versus what was going on with Roma. It's like a complete 
180. So mm-hmm. I hope like it continues, you know, that relationship continues being nurtured and stuff. Cause listen, they do finance and buy a lot of great titles, you know, narrative and doc wise. So I think they said in 2020, they're aiming to get like 200 either originals or stuff they are buying. And yeah, yeah things are just going to get totally buried. Right. Totally. Even outside of film, there's just so much content just being pushed out between comics, games, music, yeah. TV. It's, it's so hard to keep up to date. It's really hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's so hard that it's, it's, it's literally impossible. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it's my job to watch this stuff and bring yeah, it yeah. to people, you know, and there's, you know, like, uh, what do we end up four full-time people in our programming department. And I mean, it's not even enough with the four of us trying to yeah. like figure stuff out. So yeah, it's like oversaturated, uh, to the max, but you know, if we can take five days to just highlight like a couple <laughs> things that we really yeah. loved, like fine by me you know yeah, yeah totally <laughs> um but on that note we can cut through the noise a little bit because sure. andrew i know that you have some other films um yeah so recently <laughs> that you feel were overlooked well i'm a big uh letterboxed nerd mm-hmm. do you guys use letterboxd i do yeah. okay yeah. it cool. is wonderful and i love so i love movies and i love lists yes and so letterbox <laughs> is very accommodating to my you know nerdy predilections um <laughs> but you know, some stuff that we actually, we did get on screen at the Burns, um, but sort of not for an extended run. So like Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell, it was my favorite film of the oh, year. I loved it. Yes. Yeah. It's excellent. You know, I saw it at South by Southwest uh, last March and was just like knocked on my bottom, you know, uh, trying not to use profanity on this, <laughs> on this institutional show. Um, you know, it's it's so powerful and it's kind of like... You get the same feeling if you've seen Uncut Gems, where it's like you're yes. just holding the seat, you right. know. Yeah. Just, just buckle up and yeah. go along for I the mean, ride. It's intense. And Elizabeth Moss is amazing. And like, I get it. It's not an easy movie. It's super long. It's like almost entirely in like mediums and close-ups. <laughs> These super long take sequences. Yeah. Like, but all of that to me makes for like a really incredible experience and something that I wish more people had seen on big screens, but like go you know, rent it if possible. I'm a big Alex Ross Perry fan and I sort of felt like this was like nothing else he's ever done. It felt done so different for By him. like a large margin. Yeah, um, especially the camera work to have it yeah. be so frantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I totally loved that. Yeah, that's on my list also. That was what I think of like my third favorite film of last year because last year ended up getting stacked. But that franticness throughout like uh, however long the runtime is, let's say like the first hour and 45 and then all of a sudden there's that turn where it just goes slow. Yeah, yeah. act and three is, is just- And where she's like in the house. It transitions right. so well. Yeah, and it I does. feel like that's that's hard to pull off. It's super hard to yeah. just change the speed, the yeah. pacing of your yeah. film like that kind of have it not be a disaster. Genre in a sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When she like leaves the the rock world, yeah. you oh know, God, it's a completely so, different movie. Yeah, and just her performance going from like that crazy Courtney Love kind of character mm-hmm. to somebody who is like a quote unquote survivor of that kind of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I also loved Lynn Shelton's Sort of Trust. That was mm-hmm. another uh, thing I saw at South by last year. I love her movies. Um, and this was her sort of going back to her uh, sort of like improv roots i i hate to use this term but like mumblecore is kind of like where she came yeah, out of yeah, yeah. um and so this was another like you can feel the improv you can feel the actors kind of taking stuff for a walk and she allows the movie to breathe and at the same time it's just like ridiculously funny and you know mark maron is great yeah, in the movie yeah really good role for him um so surprisingly uh you know uh, emotionally powerful film mm-hmm. at parts um 
But again, it's just like in one door and out the other. You know, it, it was another movie that just kind of like came and went. And this is like is to the stuff we're talking about, like saturation. Like these mm-hmm. smaller movies sometimes have no room to breathe in any yeah. real way. And, you know, we had that movie for like two or three weeks or something mm-hmm. like that. And then it's like, got to go. And then the, it's gone. You know, the yeah. next thing is coming in. So like, I feel like sometimes people are just hearing about a movie. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not someone who's like following things on the festival circuit, which if you're not in my line of work or, you know, our line of work, like, why would you, right. <laughs> you know, um, you sometimes don't have that leg up to like track stuff. Oh, now this is coming out and, and so on. Um, so yeah, that was another one. I'm just like peering back at this letterbox. Oh, no, list. That's good. Uh, so here's one I'm interested if you guys saw, because yeah. I feel like it's a movie that's pretty easy to dismiss. <laughs> um, but Beach Bum. I did see it. Did you see it? And the Harmony Corinne film. So I'm like a really big Harmony Corinne fan. Really? Yes. You're the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Harmony. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, mostly just because I like that it's so... Ba- uh, it's so wild. Yes. And It's bat wild. Yeah. I think is where you were going, right? <laughs> and um, I mean... The cast is also a cast that I would not expect to see in a Harmony Corinne movie to some degree. No, not at all. And I, mostly because I feel like the fact that Spring Breakers, right, was technically the first A24 release. A lot of people yeah. or like that. Yeah. I think so. Right. I, I think that's how I they think it's counted. their first right. produced one, like not acquired. Okay. 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 I think. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like right there yeah. at, at the yeah. jump. And Spring Breakers was one that I, sort of like as I was sitting there watching it, I was like, oh, I hate this movie, but I also love it. <laughs> and so when Beach Bum came out, I was like, yeah, sign me up. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> McConaughey is great. Like Moondog is a character he was born to play. Yeah. Like it feels, I don't know if it's true. It feels like Harmony Korine wrote it for him. It does. Right. It feels like the fullest embodiment of sort of like the most extreme version of Matthew McConaughey. Absolutely. Like that cartoon character that he's become just like filled with a ton of energy drink or something and tons of weed. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I think it's really hysterical. I think everything that that character goes through to like get this inheritance or whatever, only to do what he does with it is actually saying something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think it was a movie that was easily to uh, it was easy to dismiss if you're looking at the trailer like what is he doing? It's yeah. kind of like a feature length version of when he was like naked playing bongos on <laughs> on his front lawn or whatever that story was from like 15 years ago. Yeah. And that's kind of true and it feels like that story was maybe like the seed of Moondog's existence right. but like boy give that movie a shot because it's totally entertaining and not for nothing the best Snoop Dogg performance he's turned oh, yeah. in. Yeah. He's great in that movie. Really <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, definitely one of those trailer uh, judges for that one. It's yeah. tough sometimes. I will. Yeah, it is. You I know, know, it's tough to cut a trailer, you know, because the whole point of a trailer is to like, yeah. you know, position it so you'll sell as many tickets as, pos- as yeah. possible. Like, and sometimes uh, it's a it's a very untruthful way to present yeah. a movie. Like Suicide Squad. Phenomenal trailers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's as far as it went. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oscar winner uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, really quickly, uh, Spring Breakers was A24's third film they had two before that. Oh, okay. Uh, a Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan Third. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. And Ginger and Rosa. Those are both 2013s. Yes, okay. all right, all right. Yeah, I yeah. do remember both of those. Um, I'll say a movie that's truly excellent that got 
a lot of acclaim, but I was surprised not much year-end love, if at all, was uh, the film The Souvenir. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and again, it's it's this thing where, like, it's, it's a movie that dares to be, like, slightly challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it just the payoff of that movie and the experience of watching that movie was one of the, I mean, it was such a unique experience for me last year, seeing it in the theater. And again, it was like, we had it here for two weeks and like, gotta go. But it's beautiful and so personal. And every shot of that movie is a painting, you know, and it's just, boy. And I I can't think of the the actress's name, but Tilda Swinton's daughter. Honor Swinburne. There it is. Nice, thank you. Um, It's amazing. Yeah. Totally amazing in that yeah. movie. Um, and Tilda as the like doting right. mother, you know. Um, but again, it's it's super slow. It's, uh, you know, it's not Suicide Squad. No. Um, what is, really? <laughs> very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just like one of those things I wish more people sort of experienced. And that was, that was on... If we were able to do programmers picks uh, for more than just like a week, like mm-hmm. we would have brought that back. Yeah. Um, nowadays, the, the current sort of incarnation of programmers picks is it's we try to also do stuff that we didn't get to play at all mm-hmm. or maybe played like one time. Um, like our programming director, Brian Ackerman's pick is An Elephant Sitting Still. Right. It's an incredible film. It's close to four hours long. There's no intermission. It's like showing you how hard it is and the, just like the drabness of living in this part of China mm-hmm. and this whole thing. And it's just like, there's not a lot there to brighten your day. You know, <laughs> yeah. like Dolomite is my name. It is not, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, but there's just something about the experience of watching that movie and also the uniqueness of it. Um, Hubo, I believe is the filmmaker's name committed suicide like right after he finished it it's his only feature film he has a short that played at toronto last year um but that's it so it's this really interesting situation to find yourself in when you have a film like this and that for us was like okay so which one of us is going to put elephant sitting still down (laughs) (laughs) you know like that's uh someone has to pick that movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so Brian did and I'm I'm glad he did and I encourage people to go see that Mm -hmm. like it's an investment for sure but you invested just as much in the Irishman you know maybe just like a little bit less like yes this movie does not have Joe Pesci uh, (laughs) yeah it does have the name Martin Scorsese yeah exactly Um, but like jump in like give that movie a shot because you kind of come out like and you're not feeling good but you come out realizing you sort of experience something and also it just sort of sits inside you. Yeah. Like the movie's just kind of like with me now. And it's, that's a weird, like haunting thing to sort of think about, but like mm-hmm. it just sort of speaks to the power of that film, I think yeah. in a really interesting way. Yeah. I haven't seen an elephant sitting still. I'm yeah. actually planning on going to our screening yes. because I know the odds of me sitting through a four hour movie at home, like are not as high. Totally. Yeah. Um, but it's it's funny because the souvenir was one for me that was difficult as I was watching it. Yeah. And like in leaving it, there was, yeah, this like melancholy that just sort of stayed with me. Yeah. But at the same time, it was so powerful because I think we talk a lot about docs and what they're doing, sort of towing the line between doc and narrative. Mm-hmm. And the souvenir is a narrative that I feel like really toes the line uh, with documentary elements oh absolutely yeah and in a way that i hadn't seen narrative do in a while and And just like the i mean the story is so 
personal to right. like her experience being in film school in England and you know dealing with someone who was battling addiction and everything. Um, I'm super excited for. Uh, I think they're just calling it the Souvenir Part Two. Mm-hmm. Like she's doing a second chapter of this. The Chachki. <laughs> the Chachki. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that's what A two four is toying with calling it. <laughs> um, you know, and sort of like the other side of my like you know art house existence is also like I'm a big horror nerd. I do mm-hmm. our uh, oh, yeah. you know horror marathon here every year. Um, so. I think. Did you both attend the marathon this we year? Did. did you get yeah. the whole way through? Whole way through. I you didn't did. make yeah. it the four a.m. screen or six a.m. screen. I missed. I don't the think last I one. did either. I, I, w- I took a nap point. in the screening room. I uh, <laughs> almost quit at three a.m. I got back here to take a nap. I was like, nah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. you I did. You did back. come back, and yeah. and then we made it through one more, and then I. Yeah, I ran back. I was like, no, I really want to see Bliss, and then yeah. I was like, all right, I really want to see One Cut. Yeah, well, those uh, are the two I was just going to mention. Yeah, those are two I want awesome. to mention. So yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah, so so Bliss um, is an amazing movie. I want to pull up the actual info here because I cannot remember any names. Bliss is yeah, a we wild ride. Yeah. Bliss is totally wild. It's directed by a guy named Joe Bagos, yeah. uh, who was actually nice enough to loan his personal print <laughs> yeah. for the That's marathon, awesome. which was super rad. Um, and I just want to get the actress's name Dora Madison who was on yes. uh, like Friday Night Lights like the latter seasons of yeah, Friday Night Lights oh my god yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right um, and she like carries this movie oh, yeah. you know and just like real quickly for, for folks listening it's a movie about uh, she plays a, a painter who has a little like artist block and she takes this drug called Bliss to sort of free up her brain space and try to motivate her and it also accidentally makes her crave blood um it is one of the wildest rides but it's also like gorgeously shot Mm -hmm. everything that movie feels like it has a purpose like we're not just uh throwing in a bunch of gross stuff to make like a schlocky horror movie like it's actually thought about really nicely and I personally am a sucker for like just a gritty, gross LA movie. Yep. And like these are just parts of LA that you just never want to yeah. find yourself in. Yeah. These like clubs that she's, you know, visiting and stuff. Um, but it is so wild. Yeah. Uh, and I was super happy to play it here. And that was a movie that was like, you know, more or less just like straight VOD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is a total bummer, you know. Uh, but planning a release strategy is totally expensive. So, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. Um, I could be wrong, but did Shutter uh, pick that up for release? Uh, I don't know if it was them directly. I think it's on there now. Yeah, okay. um, I know that I didn't book it through Shutter when, right. I, when mm-hmm. I booked right. the film. I think Dark Dark Sky was was mm-hmm. managing that. Um, and then yeah, One Cut of the Dead, so uh, brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's this this uh, totally underseen Japanese uh, zombie movie. And I will tell you right now, the thing in horror that I am burned out on is zombies. <laughs> I'm just over it. I've been over it for like five years, you know, that walking dead and all its various iterations. Like I'm so done with it. So when this came up as something to possibly screen in the marathon, I was like, man, zombies. Mm-hmm. All right, let's check it out. Boy, I've never <laughs> been so happy to be so dead wrong. Right. You know, it's so inventive and unlike anything, you've seen and i love a movie that you can't talk about unless everyone has seen it yeah <laughs> you know like i don't even want to say what it's about right. you know yeah. although it is a movie about making movies which i admitted <laughs> i'm a sucker for yeah that was such a treat going totally blind on yeah you just, i mean you have to and then uh, to lightly spoil it seeing a half hour through seeing credits roll 
And at 6 a.m. when you're watching <laughs> yeah, this you're thing, like, oh, it's like, holy asleep. hell, was that two hours already? <laughs> that was how <laughs> the, the, the sales agent sort of pitched the movie to me. It was like, you have to check this out. And by the way, when it gets to like the 45 minute mark, like just strap in for a little bit of a head tilting kind of experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 also a thing where if you told someone who hasn't seen that movie just exactly what it is, they'd be like, well, that sounds really dumb. Like you have yeah. to see its execution to sort of, you know, yeah. get what it's doing because it's kind of hard to articulate, you know, what it is if if you are cool with spoiling it for somebody. Yeah, <laughs> I spoiled it for my fiance and she was she seems like <laughs> was very, she, bummed? she was just like, that doesn't sound great. Right. Like she, she seemed interested in it, but I feel like she was like fake interested just because I was super into it. Sure. <laughs> um and there was a, there was another horror movie that did in the marathon called The Wind, mm-hmm. yeah, um, which was this really great like period frontier horror movie that IFC Midnight put out, um, and just features like this striking lead performance uh, from this actress whose name I'm going to pull up and actually give it to you. But like I feel like period horror is really hard to get me into, mm-hmm. um, and I just loved the atmospherics that this movie creates, and you know again it's just. Emma Tammy is the name of the director uh, and Caitlin Gerard is the woman who Mm. plays uh, Lizzie, the protagonist. Um, But talk about like doing so much with like nothing at all. Like I love really like spare kind of horror movies like that. And it's like really minimal. It's just using, it's one of those movies that reminds you like the environment itself is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Just like our (laughs) landscape can be totally terrifying or like, you know, looking out into a field and like seeing a candle be lit yeah. is like the biggest scare in that movie. And it's a big scare, yeah. you know, like it just is so effective. That's kind of like where we were talking about like in episode witch. one with the yeah. witch using uh-huh. the environment to your advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I love the use of the two timelines in mm-hmm. the wind. Yeah. And just how they kind of clarify what timeline you're in just through costume. I, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something I, I sort of missed that. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I was like, wait, what? It, it took me a second, you know. Sometimes watching these like screeners on your television with like watermarks all over it, it's <laughs> shockingly not the best way to watch a movie. Um, but yeah, that's like out for like VOD now and stuff too. So people should definitely see that movie yeah. if that's your bag. I mean, let me see. This list is like very long. I don't want to say you're like going <laughs> Go for through um, the whole thing. Here's a, a movie that I feel. Um, Got a bad rap. Speaking of like horror movies, this is, it's a pseudo horror movie. It's the Jim Jarmusch movie that came out in June, Dead Don't, Dead Die. Don't Die. Um, you have to be like into Jarmusch. <laughs> yeah, it's we like, were just talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Really? It's yeah. like advanced level Jarmusch. You know what I mean? It like it's not accessible because it's him really putting his sense of humor out there. Yeah. And if you can't get hip to that sense of humor, the movie is not going to work for you. Um, but it did work yeah. work for me in a nice way. It's something I wish I you know uh, have revisited. I have not yet. Um, but again, like we opened that up a couple weeks at best. Yeah. It was in the summer too, so it's like yeah, it was like June, I think. Yeah, all these titles kind of coming through. It's really hard to keep stuff on screen. You know, it's a yeah. real it's a real juggling act. But I I did like that movie too. And it is, it's a lot of sort of like inside jokes for people that know Jarmusch to some degree. Like totally. People who know his work with Bill Murray. Like, I feel like yeah. Bill Murray's character is automatically funnier yes. in the context of other stuff he's done with Jarmusch. Yeah. And I mean, talk about stuff with trailers, too. That's a movie where if you watch that trailer, they're really doing their best to be like, hey, man, 
Jim Jarmusch made a Shaun of the Dead type right. movie. Yeah, for sure. And then when you watch it, it's the Jim Jarmusch like flat, yeah. stale sense of humor. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, where are all the laugh out loud yucks? I mean, I'm sorry, but Adam Driver saying ghouls like, <laughs> oh my God, is a laugh out loud yeah. yuck moment. Yeah. And I felt like such a sucker like at this trade screening that I went to to see the film. And it's me and a bunch of other exhibitors. And I am like hee-haw yeah. laughing through this movie and the rest of the room was like dead <laughs> Not having it, yeah. just totally silent and i was like oh man this isn't gonna work is it darn mm. and it sure enough did not work yeah. you know which is the gamble with this business but it's just it's unfortunate to see stuff i like not uh work out and for filmmakers that i love too i love yeah. jarmish yeah. Side note, also, the yeah. whole soundtrack is Sturgill Simpson, yes. who I love, and it's a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah. And, and I, I know we've talked about fantastic soundtracks probably ad nauseum at this yeah, point, way but much. yeah, it's a good That's one. That's what this podcast is, is secretly a uh, OST <laughs> podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, Dead Don't Die trailer was the most overplayed thing for me mm-hmm. of last year, and I was so sick of it. And like, I saw it, I, they kept, because I used to frequent Alamo Draft House a lot. Yeah. And every time they would play that trailer, and like, I was excited for the film. I really wanted to see it. They play that trailer every screening I went to, and then they just never programmed the film. Yeah. Oh, really? It was the yeah. weirdest That's thing. That's tough. And they've done that a lot. They did that with Anna and the Apocalypse. Speaking of horror, that was very overlooked. Uh-huh. Love Anna and the Apocalypse. That's the movie that's like a sort of musical or it's something? It's a zombie musical. Uh-huh. A Christmas zombie musical. <laughs> Whoa. All right. It's so really I'll come good. around to it next uh, yeah. <laughs> next yeah. holiday season then. <laughs> but yeah, I totally missed it uh, just because Almo didn't program it. And um, yeah, we're talking about it on the first episode. It's something I need to revisit because I feel like it's right up my alley. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I think it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's tough with playing trailer. I mean, that's something like I contend with here at the Burns, you know, deciding trailers to play. Mm-hmm. And sometimes stuff just, you know, you think you're going to do something and then you can't yeah. for whatever reason. And it's always kind of a bummer. It's like, oh, man, I've been running this trailer for like a month and now we're not <laughs> even playing it at all. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Go see it somewhere else, I guess. But be sure to come back here right. for, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. for your next movie. Um, another one that we are doing um, in programmers picks uh, is the bygone film Long Day's Journey into Night. Mm-hmm. Um which we did have a decent run here, but that's one of those movies where, so, you know, this is, a, it's a, been a publicized thing, so it's not a spoiler, but like the last hour of that movie mm-hmm. is like a single take 3D sequence. Um, when I saw it at Toronto in 2018, I like, it was an early morning screening too, which is like the worst thing for <laughs> yeah. film festivals. Yeah. And then like when the sequence starts happening, I was like, is this real? <laughs> am i like under caffeinated like yeah. what is happening right now am yeah. i alive yeah <laughs> and i i firmly believe it's a thing that will not work if you don't see it in 3d i mean mm-hmm. it's still cool to see the technical shot be pulled off right mm-hmm. um but they're like the th- immersive 3d experience in a huge screen that's like swallowing you uh you cannot replicate that at home yeah. i'm sorry like I don't care what deck you bought or what cool 3D TV you have. Like, it's not the same thing because, like, your window is right there. Your dog's running by. The doorbell's ringing. Like, whatever. It's not the same thing. Um, So this is, like, total rare opportunity to experience this again uh, one more time. And I was so glad that Nicole Klein uh, picked it. Um, Because it's just, I mean, it's sort of like... Long Day's Journey is a better movie than this, but it's the same way I feel about Gravity. Mm-hmm. Gravity is a movie, it's pointless to watch that in 2D, as far as I'm concerned. Like, that is, 
a rare because I don't really get in on 3D, but like that's a rare like wow, this actually has to be worked really well. Movie. Yeah, because um, I remember seeing it. I saw it twice in 3D. We did an event here with it uh, when it came out. And it's incredible. And then, you know, I remember like my brother-in-law had it on his television one time and I was looking at it like, nah, I don't care anymore because <laughs> I know that I'm not going to have that same thing, mm-hmm. that same feeling as I got like for the theatrical experience. And that's the same thing with Long Day's Journey and Tonight. Um, and Bygone is like a really incredible uh, filmmaker. And I'm really excited to see what he does next. And this was only his second feature, right? It's only his second yeah. feature, yeah. Um, Kaili Blues was the name of his first feature. That was something we played here uh, back in the day. Jonathan Demi saw it at the, I think, the Venice Film Festival mm-hmm. and brought it back, like, literally before it had U.S. distribution <laughs> and was like, guys, we just have to play this movie. And we were <laughs> like, okay, JD, like, we trust you. And, I mean, you know, he was totally right. Right. Not surprising. And uh, that movie also features like a crazy choreographed, like long take sequence. Like he's this filmmaker who just doesn't care about how things are done or should be done. Like he's going to make these movies his own way. And I love that. I love someone working in this medium that does not care Mm -hmm. about like how things are supposed to be put together and stuff. And yeah, all of a sudden, like the character in this movie, like goes into a movie theater and falls asleep. And all of a sudden, this incredible, like 50 ish minute experience gets to happen. And yeah, you have to see that in 3D, like no doubt. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, me neither. I'm excited to check it out. It's super cool. It is. It's really it's one of those like, how did he do this <laughs> you're watching it you're just like oh wait what you know yeah. and like i don't want to give uh, too much away but there there are feats in that shot sequence where you're like whoa crazy to just time everything and pull it off the way that it's pulled off you're like this this guy's got something yeah just because i'm curious and this might be spoiling it mm-hmm are you wearing like 3D glasses the entire time? How do they transition? So I I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah. I think it was the same way at Toronto that it's presented now, where I think at the start of the film, it literally has a card that comes up that says like, when your character sits down in the movie theater and puts on, because I, I think the character like puts on sunglasses mm. and he falls okay. asleep. So I think it says something like, when the protagonist sits down and puts his glasses on in the movie theater, you put your glasses on. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're not you're not wearing them the whole movie. Mm-hmm. You so they give you that cue and then everybody kind it's of just does it at the same time. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Really well. It uh, it just makes me really thankful that our 3D system here at the Burns isn't one of those 3D systems where all the glasses are coming in like plastic wrap. Oh, oh yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I cannot they imagine just the, the, all the simultaneous <laughs> tearing of those glasses packets. I would go bonkers. <laughs> it's like everybody deciding they want a Snickers at the same time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then you just you would have to be screaming at people like, just open it. <laughs> just hurry up and open it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have done in movie theaters because yeah. I have zero patience for that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do we, do we want to keep going on my list? Yeah, I, you if you know, want to do a few more. I don't know. I'll, like, do, I'll, do, I'll do one more. Sure. Um, totally oh. underseen documentary from last year called Jay Myself. Yeah. Um, totally love this movie. Uh, it's about the photographer, uh, Jay Maisel. And this, I, here's the thing. I love a good New York kook story. Uh, <laughs> and Jay Maisel, I say this lovingly, falls into New York kook yeah. territory for sure. Um, 
quick sort of elevator pitch about the movie. He is a photographer who was, uh, he bought this massive bank building down in the Bowery back in whatever, like the 70s or 60s or something. That we still just call the bank. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Still called the bank. And he is, he's this this wild collector slash hoarder. He's, he's a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. He's a hoarder. He's an organized hoarder. He has a lot of space. So he's got a lot of space, yeah. and you got to fill that house with something, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so the whole thing is, you know, the classic New York tale. Now is he has to sell right. uh, this building, um, so he then has to navigate the waters of packing up decades worth of collecting and moving it places and yeah. throwing some of it out, hopefully. Um, <laughs> and like just watching the the process of just what it takes and the team of people to do this yeah. whole thing. Um, and it was directed by Stephen Wilkes, who's uh, a photographer and studied with Jay and sort of was like a, you know, apprentice to him. Um, and it's, it's really incredible because it sort of, it sort of walks this line between like, yeah, it's a funny sort of hoarder experience <laughs> kind of thing. But also you get him talking with Steven about all of these, you know, his like philosophy about about photography and like color. I could hear Jay Maisel talk about color for a 90 minute runtime <laughs> on its own. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he's just one of those people that just hearing him speak on something so passionately. I mean, there's a sequence in the movie where he looks out a window and he's sort of like bumming mm -hmm. about, you know, oh, I'm not going to get this view anymore. And then he sits there and he goes like, well, right there, you see that? That's a photograph. You see that over there, that bird doing that thing? That's a photo. And you're just like, this guy's a genius. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, now he's an incredibly rich genius. He yeah. sold that building for a ton of money. Yeah. Um, but it is it is a great little documentary that Oscilloscope put out last year. Um, and again, I got to play it for like two weeks. Stephen Wilkes came mm -hmm. uh, for a Talking Docs preview screening, which was awesome. Uh, and he was a super nice guy. And the audience really liked it. Like, it's... It's nice to watch documentaries that don't make you feel like garbage, <laughs> which I have to watch a lot of those. Yeah. So I was watching this like, oh, it's a pleasant story. OK, cool. There's no genocide or, you know, animals going extinct. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So I guess I will leave it there as far as cool. like, you know, uh, stuff that I feel people should have seen last year, which was a lot. I, well, I think you gave people enough until like June yeah. <laughs> to check out. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah. yeah, and one last one before we sign off. Favorite movie of all time. My favorite movie of all time. So I, it should be pretty. Can you guys guess? Let's see if you guys can guess. Because we've worked together for a while now. Yeah, I know. But I feel like I might offend you if no. I get it wrong. <laughs> I will not be offended. I promise. I feel like it's something... I'm not saying this is what it is. I feel like it's something like Predator, Terminator, or something like that. Uh, no. Damn. I really want it to be. <laughs> yeah. I know Chud is your favorite guilty pleasure. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, Douglas Cheek's seminal 1984 called Classic Chud because I'm a sucker for on-location, gritty, gross New York City. Yeah. And that movie was filmed in 1983 Soho, so do that math. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but actually, it's 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 kind of a tie. Um, There's no ties. Don't cheat. No ties. All right. No. My favorite movie is Back to the Future. Okay. Because okay. that, and I'll tell you why. Because oh, we should have known your dog. <laughs> my dog is oh named Marty. God. Um, Back to the Future <laughs> was a movie. I mean, it's a movie I've seen a thousand times, yeah. and but it's a it's the movie that made me love movies, mm -hmm. and you know, I've gone on to love a bunch of stuff since then. I'd say I, it's a tie because. 
I have an image from Stop Making Sense tattooed on my body. Oh, I yeah. absolutely oh, yeah. love that movie. So I guess if I had to do like fiction, nonfiction, that's mm-hmm. how it would sort of shake out. Um, but yeah, Shooter. Back to the Future was just a movie that it was like, <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, like, wow, like it sounds so cheeseball, I know, but like, wow, the power of the movies yeah, or like the, the magic, magic of the movies, you know, yeah. that was that movie. You know, yeah. I was born in 84. Like I probably saw it for the first time in like 89 or something. I don't think a five-year-old should be watching that movie, but you know, <laughs> whatever the VCR was the babysitter man. What can yeah. I tell you? My parents yep. worked. Um, so I just, I grew up just continuing to love that movie for, you know, warts and all, you know, yeah. weird mom hitting on you warts and all uh, <laughs> weird, like problematic, you know, consumerist Reaganomics eighties nonsense. That's the <laughs> end of that movie. You know, like yes. for all of that, it's just still, and I still will watch it and just be yeah. like, yeah you know it's just kind of like a warm bath kind of a thing so yes so back to the future that's my my fave movie that's like nice yeah we should have known honestly yeah we should have known as soon as you said it i was like i'm taking a half point game the 80s right there you you go well this has been awesome thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me Yeah, yeah of course and just as a reminder, Programmer's Picks runs at the Jacob Burns Film Center from January 27th to January 31st. Be sure to check it out. Do you want to say goodbye or something? Oh, uh, yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> you will eventually find your Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they never come right away. <laughs>